Thank you for joining the Faith Chapel Podcast. Wherever you may be joining us, we hope you know you are loved and that this message encourages you. And now they're excited to come back and reconvene with Jesus. And they're coming back with these incredible stories. And, and they're amazed because they recognize it's not their strength that's doing it, but it's the strength of God doing it through them. And they're coming back with this excitement. And, and as they get to Jesus, there's now this huge crowd that has been following each and every one of them back to Jesus. He recognizes that they're tired from ministry. He recognizes that they are hungry. He suggests, let's get into a boat and let's push out from the shore and, and you can get some rest and you can get something to eat. The crowd recognizes the direction they're going and so they immediately began to, to take this jaunt around the, around the lake and they actually beat them there and they're there to welcome them. Now picture you in this story. As they're going around the lake, they come through your town or your city. They come down your street and there's this mass of humanity that's walking and it causes you to come out of the, out of the garage that you're working in and it causes you to, to ask questions. What's going on? What's happening? And they say, oh, there's this one who heals the, the leper. There's this one who heals the sick and the disease. There's this one who talks about kingdom truth. There's this one who's amazing and we're going, we're going to meet him. Miracles happen. And he speaks like no one else we've ever, we've ever heard. He talks about God in a way which we've never heard. And it causes a stirring in you to where you begin to just leave whatever you're doing and you begin to walk down your street with them. And the crowd begins to grow with each and every step. The disciples get off the boat and here's this now much larger group than they anticipated right there to meet with them. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion upon them when he saw them. And he began to teach them the many things about the kingdom of God. In fact, he taught so long that he taught right through the noon hour and right up till three o'clock or there a little bit after. And then the disciples recognized something. The disciples recognized, hey, we haven't eaten all day. Huh? I mean, I know that's how you feel when I go past noon every week, right? He's like, Pastor, we haven't eaten. Please bring it, land the plane, bring it in. Right? Let's go. Some of you don't even wait for the amen. You just leave. It's noon. I'm leaving. I gave him my time. We're out of here. But that's how it works. So they recognize there's a need. There's thousands of people. And he's like, they haven't, they haven't eaten. And so they bring it to Jesus' attention. They said, Jesus, all of these people, they've been so enthralled with your teaching. They've been listening so intently that no one has broken away, that no one has gone on to eat. In fact, they're hungry. We suggest that you allow them to leave to the nearby villages and places so they can go and, and they can find something to eat. And then Jesus does something completely unexpected. I mean, when you left your garage to follow the crowd, you didn't grab a snack lunch. Neither did they. He says, you feed them. Now, can you imagine the disciples looking around at all of the people that were there and going, is he for real? Is he serious? And he was serious. And it was Andrew that said, here, here's a little boy. He's got five loaves, of, five barley loaves and two fish. And that's all that Jesus needed for the miracle of feeding of 5,000 people. That's all that Jesus needed in that moment. 
The disciples responded, surely this isn't even enough to be able to give anyone a small bite. In fact, if we were to release them to go, if we were to go feed them ourselves, rather, it would take eight to 12 months of wages to do that. And this isn't enough. But Jesus said it was more, it was more than enough. So he asked the disciples to sit, have all the people that were there to sit down in groups of 50 and in hundreds. And then Jesus took the fish and he took the loaves and it says he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples to feed those that were there. 5,000 men ate. And it says they were satisfied. That's a lot of fish. That's a lot of bread. And the remaining fish and bread he picked up and they put in 12 basketfuls. Now this amazing miracle of Christ, this true story is found in every single gospel. And it left an impression, obviously, on the disciples because everyone included it. But even more importantly, Jesus refers back to it at least two times after the event took place, making this event something of great significance. There was something that was going on this day that was beyond just feeding the hungry. It went beyond just having compassion. There was something that was happening in that moment that Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples. In fact, I believe that he was trying to say, listen, this is something that you're going to need that when I leave you, that you're going to have to pick up these principles so that you can follow and do ministry the way I want you to do ministry. So in your notes, beyond hunger, number one, and we'll get back to the definitions, but beyond hunger, number one, don't measure your resources for God meets the need. I mean, we have a tendency, don't we, to look into our own hands or rather our own bank accounts and say, I don't have enough. There was an Old Testament story of how a prophet asked a widow, he says, how much do you possess? She had great debt, she had sons, she had no husband, and she was about to lose absolutely everything. And the prophet says, how much do you possess? And she says, I, I don't have anything. And he asked her one more time, are, are you sure? What, what? No, yeah. She says, all I have to my name is this little bit of oil. And some of you know the story. He says, well, go out and ask everybody you can to get as many vessels as you can. And God multiplied that oil until it filled every single vessel until not one was left empty. And you look at that story, God not only provided for her, and not only did it meet all of her debts, but it went above and beyond. In fact, it served them for the rest of their life. It gave them enough money to serve them the rest of her life. That's what God does. He not only meets the need, he goes above and beyond that which we ask or give and imagine. Now let me just ask you, are we like the widows and the disciples in this story? Don't we usually look at what we don't have when we make a decision that lacks faith? And when we do that, don't we cut God out of the equation? And when we look at our resources, we look at what we lack, we look at what we don't have, and we go, okay, well, we're not able to do this, or we're not able to do that, or we're only able to do this small portion, and I'll go do my part. But because we don't open our hearts, and because we don't pray about it, and because we don't trust the Lord, we cut God out of the equation, and therefore, we don't see the miracles in our lives that maybe God wants to provide for us. See, they looked at this huge crowd and they saw the need and we've got to give them credit for that. And, and maybe it's not even credit at all. Maybe it's because they were hungry too. They're like, hey, disband them so we can go eat. But they at least recognize the need. That's the first stage. But if we don't allow faith to be a part of the equation, then we're going to miss out. 
Because doesn't scripture remind us that without faith it is what? It's impossible to please God. Meaning, he's not looking for us to do what we can do in our own strength. He's looking for us to live a life that's beyond our strength, beyond our capacity, beyond our ability, to where we step out from our own selves into an area of faith where God shows up and meets the need. See, Jesus looked at the situation not as a problem, but as an opportunity. I I pause here just for you to reflect. That's not normal for us, is it? When a problem comes, that's when we throw up our hands and we go, oh, God, and we get super spiritual, right? I mean, our prayers change. We just don't go, oh, Heavenly Father. We go, oh, God, right? We draw it out. It's like it gets God's attention better. Oh, God. And sometimes some of you that have been in church a long time, you turn into a whole different language. Oh, Lord, if if thee hath known the position that thou art in, wouldn't thou move heaven and earth and show up? I mean, we just change our entire approach when we're in great need. But these people, (laughs) thank you. I'm doing my very best, amen. But Jesus doesn't look at problems as problems. He looks at them as opportunities. Maybe that's what he was trying to teach the disciples. Maybe that's what he's trying to teach us. That when we're confronted with problems, we should sit back and go, this is another opportunity for God to do something supernatural. Here's another opportunity for a miracle to happen. Here's another opportunity for God to show up and get, receive more credit and more glory than I could give him in and of my own self or my own abilities or my own strength. This is an opportunity for God to do something amazing. See, Jesus looked at the situation not as a problem, but an opportunity to not only show forth, not only to feed the hunger, but to go beyond the hunger and do the miraculous and teach all those that were there and the disciples that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he would meet their needs. And it reminds me of Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all. Say the word all. 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 That means everything. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Whose riches is it? His. Is God broke this morning? No. We sometimes act like it. Oh, God, if you could just somehow... If you just, my little bit of faith, if I could crack open the door, you could be big enough to slide in. If there's just any way that you could just maybe make this, that's not faith. I believe that God uses small faith and we're to start wherever we have and wherever we are. But I also believe that sometimes it's time to be bold and trust the God of our problems. See, my God is way bigger than any of the problems that I face. And when I get my eyes off my problems and onto God, then I'm able to see them as opportunities. And when I see them as opportunities, then I begin to pray a whole different way. Instead of God just meet this problem, just begin to show up and meet this situation, then I begin to say, God, how are you going to do this where you receive all the glory and what do you want me to do to be a part of that solution? God, how can I be a part of your plan? You probably or you more than likely have created this or allowed this to happen so that you could receive credit, so that you could receive glory, so that you could show up, that you could meet the need. So God, how am I? What can I do through obedience to your word and through your spirit? How can I be a part of seeing that come to pass so people will know that you are God and that you're alive and well today and that you'll receive all the credit? Amen. Amen. 
You see, that's the potential that's in every problem when we act in faith. Acting only in human wisdom cannot unlock the power of God. Listen to me. You cannot unlock the power of God using your own human wisdom over your circumstances or situations. So stop looking at what you don't have and look to the Lord. What you don't have isn't as important as what you do have, the oil in your hand, or who, or who you know, God, and what he can do. So how are you going to use, let me just stop, how are you going to use what you already have to reveal God's glory or compassion to other people? Can you write a handwritten note? Can you make a phone call or text message? Can you drop by a house? Can you cook some baked goods? Can you, what can you do that maybe in the smallest of way to you that would make a huge difference in showing compassion and love to somebody else? Because now back at the top of your notes, what's compassion? It's God's love in what? God's love in action. And that's what we're to be. We're to look at the situations around us, the problems that are around us, the 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 opportunities that are around us and say, how can we reveal, how can we show God's love in, in action? How can we do that? Remember, compassion is really the willingness to relieve the suffering of another. How can I look at the problems that are around me and what can I do? And here's, here's, the, here's what the answer is. The answer cannot be that you look at the problems around you and say, I'm not big enough. I don't have enough resource for I don't have enough influence in order to meet the need that's around me, so therefore I will do nothing. That is not the answer. The answer is, God, what could I do to relieve the pressure, to relieve the burden, to relieve the yoke, to relieve that over somebody else's life? And maybe in the smallest of ways with the hope that, God, that you show up and reveal yourself and you make the difference. Number two, beyond hunger, whatever we give to God, he multiplies. How many say amen to that? Huh? I mean, it all starts, right? It all starts with the willingness to give God whatever we have, regardless of the size. And some of you look at what you have and you go, I don't have anything. Well, I just got this little bit. We're going to turn that over to God. We're going to start right there. We're going to give it to God, regardless of the size. Remembering that being faithful over the little is what opens the door for much more. So it starts with our willingness to give it to God, to give the, whatever we have over to the Lord. And then we get a front row seat to see God begin to move. In this true story, it says that there were 5,000 men that were there, and they ate until they were completely satisfied. The experts say there was more like 20,000 people present when you include the women and the children that were there. And here's what Jesus told them. You remember, he said, I want you to place them in groups of 50 and hundreds. Literally what this scripture looks like, if you were to parse each and every word and you were to, and you were to study it out, he put them in, in 50s and hundreds and they shaped of a U, just like they would in their, in their homes. So when the servant would come, the servant would be able to walk into the middle and serve every single person very, very quickly. And so they were able to, groups of 50 and groups of 100, they were, seated, they, were, they were sitting down, they were in a reclining position, they were on this really grassy area, and they were all dressed in the, in the dress of that day, which means they had all kinds of color. This is the backdrop. It would probably take about seven to eight acres, meaning this, it would be the size of a football field. Some people are 100 yards away from Jesus. 
So the disciples go and they put everybody in groups 50, everybody in groups of 100. In fact, Mark gives us the word ranks. He said God tells us to put them in ranks, which really is this, garden plots. They're in these rows of garden plots and these circles or in these U-shaped circles. The 12 would begin to serve each person. Let's look at it this way. What if it took about three seconds to serve each and every person? Allowing them to walk back and to and fro Jesus for each group and serving each group would be around then would be around four minutes. Each disciple had about 25 groups to serve and the whole multitude then it would take in two hours or so for them to serve everyone that was there over those seven or eight acres, that 100 yard distance. If they started around 3.30, because we know that was the time that this miracle took place, somewhere around 3, 3.30, it would take them until about dinner time until it was all finished. The whole episode would have finished around sunset for them. It all started with five barley loaves and two fish. That's multiplication. What does God want to multiply in your life? What can the touch of the master bring to you? See, what the miracle of the story is that I think the miracle of the story is the young lad, the mom packed his lunch, said, here, go and go be with this guy. He packs his lunch and he's so enthralled with the teaching of Jesus that he didn't care that they didn't get out at noon on Sunday. In fact, he didn't even get hungry because he was so enthralled with the teaching. His lunch was still intact. Here it is, 3.30 in the afternoon, and he's like, I got a lunch. And Andrew says, let me have your lunch. By design plan, it was there, don't you believe? And Jesus took it, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he began to multiply it. He began to multiply it. God can take whatever you put into his hands, and he can multiply it for whatever you need and whatever the needs are that are around you. If we'll trust him, we will step out in faith. Listen to me. We're not the manufacturers of the blessing. We're only the distributors of the blessing. See, so many times we think the responsibility is on us. Well, some God, I have to somehow, I got to bring this about. I got to cause this to happen. You can't cause anything to happen that's good. Can I tell you that God, everything that's good in your life comes from the Father above. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities. The Bible says God has given the ability of man. He's given all of us the ability to generate wealth. Even that has been given to you by God. And so you should be thankful for that and realize that that comes from God. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And every good thing starts in the hand of God before it's even given to you. And you're not, you're not the manufacturer of those things. You're the distributor of those things. And so look around in your life right now. Just begin to take inventory of what God has given you, what he's already blessed you with, and say, God, what am I supposed to distribute? What am I supposed to give away? What am I supposed to sow? What am I supposed to do to be a blessing? Because in the same way you've received grace in your time of need, the Bible says you turn around and you give that grace to someone else when they're in need. That's compassion. That's showing God's love in action. Come on. Yeah, give God praise for that. And in Matthew chapter 5, 16, that's why it reminds us, it says that in the same way, let your light shine. Why should we let our light shine? Why should we put God's love on display? Why are we let God's grace be on display? So they may see your good deeds, your what? Your action. They see your good deeds and then they glorify your father in heaven. The thing that always captures me, my attention about this verse is, isn't the fact that the people, be, the people that I do the work 
But people glorify God. They don't glorify me. They recognize when they look at what I've done, they recognize that he must not, there's no way Brian could do that. He's not smart enough. He's not sharp enough. He's not cool enough. Well, maybe I'm cool enough, but I'm not smart enough and I'm not sharp enough. And thanks for laughing. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but you're with me. But they recognize I'm not enough into myself. That means God must have shown up. Because they didn't give me the credit or you the credit or these people the credit. They glorified their father, which was in heaven. And I think that requires us to take what God has given and say, God, multiply whatever I'm doing. Whatever I'm doing for your glory. Number three. The perishable bread is important. But the imperishable bread is the most important. The bread that was present on that day was made of barley. And most people grew barley as animal feed. And only the very, very poor in this day and age, that became their staple food. Because barley cost about half as much as wheat. And the story says that there were five barley loaves. Barley was this despised food, especially among the wealthy and the elite. For they were above eating barley loaves. We have wheat. We have delicacies. We have fruit. We have vegetables. We have all these wonderful things. You wouldn't catch them eating barley loaves and being there with the commoners or the poor people. But according to this story, every single person was satisfied and they were grateful for that barley. And I got to thinking only Jesus can turn a despised food into a delicacy. It reminds me of what Jesus does in our lives. He takes the despised things of this world and he uses them for his glory. He takes the things that are not. In fact, he enjoys, Scripture says, taking the things that are not and of no report and those things that are, that are abased. He takes those things and he uses those. And that's how he receives the glory, the glory that he alone deserves. Through Jesus' compassion, he wanted to meet their physical needs. But he wanted to go beyond just their physical needs, beyond their hunger. He wanted to give them something more. He wanted to give them some spiritual food. He wanted to give them, he taught them all day long. And then Jesus references this day because he's a little frustrated with the people that are following him. Luke tells it this way. After the miracle happened, there's a few chapters that go by, a few verses, and Jesus says, Verily I truly tell you that you are looking for me not because you saw signs and workers more, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. He says, you're not even coming anymore for the miracles, and you're definitely not coming because of the teaching, and you're definitely not coming because of what I'm saying. You're just following me because you got your belly full. What's he saying here is that there might have been just a lot of poor people following Jesus. He did say the poor we would always have with us. But there was something beyond feeding their physical bodies. Listen to what he goes on to say. I performed... I perform, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill, do not work for food that spoils. You're not getting the point. But for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God, the Father, will pl has placed his seal of approval. He's saying that you enjoyed the physical blessings, but you haven't even begun to taste the enrichment of the spiritual blessings that I can give to you. 
They recognized that he was the Messiah. The Bible says that they wanted to force him to set up his earthly kingdom right after this miracle. And he walked away because then he went to a solitude place because he said, now is not my time. I'm not doing that. That's not what this is all about. You're missing the point again. This isn't about me taking up my authority and taking up my reign and my rule in this moment. This is about you learning about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God can do in your life. It's more than just the perishable food. It's the imperishable spiritual blessings of God that I can bring into your life. It reminds me of Ephesians 1, 3, praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, say every, every. with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I don't know about you, but that kind of challenges me to live a life that wants to receive every one of those blessings. It challenges me to think that maybe I'm living beyond or beneath the blessings of God, those every spiritual blessings that he has procured for me to have and to experience while I'm here on this earth, not just in heaven, but to walk in the anointing and the power of God, to walk in the presence of his, of his power and his glory in my life, to let his light be on full display and his life be on full display for all the world to see, to experience the richness and the goodness of God in my life. See, God wants to bless you so that you can be a, a blessing. And they were missing it. They thought it was just about filling their stomachs, but 24 hours later, they were hungry again. And he says, you're following me just because I feed you. Because after this miracle of feeding 5,000, guess what happens? He does the same thing again. He feeds 4,000. And they keep following him because, hey, this is a free lunch. Right? I mean, I know I'm leaving family and friends behind. They should have followed me because every day when I get hungry, he just takes a few little things and he prays and he blesses it and we get to eat. This is a good deal. And he stops and he says, this is not a methodology. This is a message that you're missing. This is about the kingdom of heaven. This is about if you would recognize that I am truly the son of God that if you were to eat from me, you would never go hungry again. That's why he said in this story, take as much as you want. Take and eat until you're completely and absolutely satisfied. Do you know that Jesus wants you in your relationship with him? He wants you to be completely and absolutely full and satisfied. He wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to, to get in these scriptures and, and be, able to, be able to just take those in. And so until you find yourself at a place where you're like, oh, wow, this is so good. I mean, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. How many of you will eat too much on that day? Everybody raise your hand. Come on. You'll eat a, you'll eat a piece of pie, maybe two, right? An hour later with whipped cream and all this stuff. Most of you, you'll have some kind of meal, hopefully, with family and friends. You'll eat too much. And when you're sitting there watching your third football game of the day, don't you go, oh my gosh, I've had too much. I had done some fasting this past week, and my family didn't know, so they, you know, because I'm kind of goofy about what I eat and dieting anyway, but I had fasted a few days this week, 
And my wife suggested that we take Friday night and we're all free for the first time in weeks. And so why don't we go and do a family night? I'm like, cool, where do you want to go? She goes, let's go to Hodad's. I think most of you know Hodaz, the burger place, right? And, and so we go to Hodaz, and we're there at Hodaz, and I mean, and, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get a burger. Okay, yeah, I'll get bacon on it. Do you want cheese? Of course I want cheese. It's not a burger without cheese on it. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. Yeah. That's right. You got to have cheese on a burger. And I thought, I never, I haven't had, it's been months, so I'm going to get me a shake. I don't know if you've ever been there lately, but the shake is like this big. And I just have this built-in thing. This is the way I grew up. My mom's like, if it's on your plate, you finish it. It's built in me, so I have to be careful of the portions I put on my plate, because if you fill it up, I will eat it all, because that's just how I was raised. And like, you don't let anything go to waste. So I didn't let that shake go to waste. Amen, I got it all in me. As well as the onion rings that were there, and. The the burger that was there. Some of you are with me. Some of you are feeling it already, right? You're... And I mean, I started feeling overly satisfied. Let me just say it that way on the way home. And when I got home, because I hadn't eaten for like four days, three days. And I started with the things you're not supposed to start with. Beef and bread. When you're fasting. And when I got home, I mean, I was bloated. I mean, I was, where am I going with this story? I don't know, but <laughs> I did not feel good at all. I did not feel good at all. I ate until I was overly full. I shouldn't have done it. We do that all the time with the perishable food in our lives. But when's the last time you we're in God's presence in worship or prayer. When's the last time you carved out time to be in God's word where you could be so deep in God's word that you walked away and you felt completely full, satisfied? So that's what Jesus was trying to get across to these that were following him. It went beyond their hunger. And he goes on to say in that passage, he goes, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. In John 6, 51, he comes back and he says again, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. So in case you're not getting it, let me say it to you a different way. I'm not just the bread of life. I'm the living bread. I bring life to you. When you eat from me, he says, you'll, you'll never grow hungry again. For whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is the kind of bread you want. You don't want to just eat bread, be hungry the next day. You want to eat from this bread and that you'll never be hungry again and you will live forever. For this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of all the world. He has to make it abundantly clear. Now listen, we're about ready to take communion. And you know, Jesus alludes to this. He gets the disciples together in the upper room. Those that were closest to him, they're dining together. They're seated in that you position, reclining. Food's being brought out. They're having a great time. All of a sudden, Jesus stops the merriment, and he brings them back to this one moment where he fed 5,000. 
He brings him back to this moment where he had this declaration. And he says, while they were eating, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, just like he did that day. And he gave it to his disciples. Can you, the exact same terminology. Here's the bread, give thanks, break it, give it to the disciples, just like he did that day. By the way, the miracle that day, the miracle that day when it says that, that he broke it and he gave it to the disciples, the word gave there means that he continually gave it to them, meaning the miracle happened in his hand, not theirs. It kept multiplying right there in his hand and he kept giving it to them for distributing. Can you imagine what that would be like? It just kept, I thought he gave me some, he did. I thought he only started with five, he did. And it just kept coming out. And the disciples went right back to that moment and they were like, here's the bread. And he goes, let me, let me put a capstone on it for you. Let me help you finish the narrative. He said, take and eat this, this is my body. This is my body. Because you remember, I am the bread of life. And if you'll eat for me, you'll live forever. And you'll never go hungry again. Take and eat. This is my body. See, the disciples in that moment had a narrative, had a story, had a moment that you and I cannot capture in our communion service. As they walked with Jesus and they were involved in that story, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And here they are on the night that he's going to be portrayed. And he took it, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And all of a sudden they go, oh, wait a minute. This is what he's been talking about. He's been talking about giving his life away so that we could have life. He's been trying to get us to understand this is not about a, an earthly kingdom, it's about a heavenly kingdom. This isn't about ruling here on earth, this is about him coming and giving his life so that he could go take his rightful place in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father so he can make intercession for us and that we, that we, would be his hands extended and that we, we would distribute the blessings of God to those around us and that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. This wasn't about one man. This was about what one man's actions did to get the bread of life to us so that bread could be distributed to others. All of our religious faith revolves around that one moment. But it's not just about one moment, it's about what happens after that one moment. Because without that one moment, we don't have a faith. But because of that moment, the death of Christ and the resurrection, we now have the bread of life that we're able to distribute to others. Compassion. God's love in action. So bow your heads with me. And I'm going to make sure that each and every one of you have the opportunity to say yes to this bread that's being offered this morning. 
I want each and every one of you to be able to taste and see that the Lord's good. For each and every one of you to receive this bread, not in a physical sense, but in its spiritual sense, so that you can experience life eternal. See, these elements are symbolic that we're about to take. Meaning if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then it's just bread and it's just grape juice. But once you've received the bread of life, these elements become something far more important. It's the body and the blood of Jesus. His body that was given so that you and I can live a life that's overcoming his blood so that we could have victory over sin that washes us from all of our sin. It brings connection to our heavenly father. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Before we even get to this moment, I want you to be able to take these elements in earnestness and in faith. So if you're here and you're not in right relationship with God, you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, when I count to three, would you put your hands up all over this place? And would you acknowledge that you need Christ in your life? One. Two, come on, without hesitation right now, say, Pastor, I mean business with God, and I'm going to be right with Jesus, and I want to be able to come to the table of the Lord, and I want to experience his goodness, and I want to experience his presence. But more importantly, I want to experience his forgiveness. All over this building, you ready? 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 One, two, come on right now, three. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, anyone else? Thank you. In the balconies, I look up here. Come on, put your hand up real high. Get my attention. God bless you down here in this main aisle. Put your hands down. Everyone say this prayer with me. Say it out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. To come into my life. I give you my entire being, and I ask you to use my life to bring glory to yours. Thank you for forgiving me. In the name of Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you hadn't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelst.com or on any social media platform at Faith Chapel SD. We hope to see you real soon.